Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On this special college basketball trial focus podcast, I interview defense attorney Craig Mordock and Pete speaks with Notre Dame coach Mike Bray, who has plenty to say on the subject. Welcome to a special edition of the Yahoo Sports College podcast, special mostly because of our guest, but also because Pat and Pete are here to dumb things down even further. You were all spared that. Uh, I am Dan Wetzel, uh, and we know there is a lot of interest in the college basketball scandal. Uh, our podcast numbers on that have been quite high, so uh, rather than just have three sports writers continue to bag on the trial, although we may continue to do that. Uh, for this edition, I am bringing in the esteemed Craig Mordock of the Mordock Barber Law Firm in New Orleans. Craig is a veteran criminal defense attorney, both state and federal, uh, and is representing former Arizona assistant Emmanuel Book Richardson in this case. Now, Book Richardson is not involved in the current trial that is going on in New York. Those defendants are Adidas executive Jim Gatto and Merle Code, plus uh, our favorite aspiring agent middleman, Christian Dawkins. Book's trial is scheduled to go in April with a bunch of the other assistant coaches. Uh, however, obviously, Craig knows the totality of this case, uh, was in New York uh, observing some of the current trial, and obviously has a unique pr- perspective on everything. So welcome, Craig, a rare guest to the Yahoo Sports College podcast. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be with the smart one of the Yahoo Yes, right. See, you you obviously listen. You're a listener as well as a guest. We appreciate that. The only podcast I've ever listened to more than once in my life. So that's it. <laughs> we should have billboards with such a tagline. Uh, that's it. That's good. Uh, all right. Later on, I'm going to get to the real pressing legal question of the day, which is how, how would you defend that guy who stole five cases of beer from the convenience store in Texas? Vigorously. Uh Vigor, I hope so. Uh, worth noting, at this time, he is still free. At the time of taping, he has not been caught. Uh, we believe people are protecting him at least until his arsenal of 120 Bud Lights is finished. Or he may just be passed out in the woods somewhere and no one knows how to find him. So we don't know, but uh, we're going to get to that one. Um, all right, so Craig, look, the college basketball scandal trial, what everyone really wants to know, and you may be able to answer this for us, probably get you disbarred, but it's okay. I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, is there evidence that will cause a bunch of college basketball coaches to be fired? 
Uh, Dan, I have to give the Glomar answer to this question. Um, yeah, the answer is I can neither confirm nor deny that. However, I do know the answer. <laughs> is that Reagan? Yes, I believe it was a, a secretary. <laughs> I think it was a secretary in the Reagan administration or CIA. Maybe Reagan, a CIA Reagan official. Era, yes. That's it, Glomar? Glomar response. Okay, let me ask you this, though, Craig. Is it true? That assistant U.S. attorney Ted Discant is a much better dresser than you. That is absolutely 100 percent correct. Although, uh, okay. although for trial, I will be rocking uh, multiple pocket squares. So and and in the southern uh, since it'll be spring uh, in the southern gentleman style of New Orleans, I, I will have purple, uh, light blue pocket squares to uh, communicate to the jury that I am not your typical New York defense attorney. All right. Well, we're really breaking news here on the podcast so far. Off to a good start. Uh, now, obviously, Craig cannot talk about uh, specific evidence and things like that. But what we want to know here is what uh, what were your general thoughts on the first case, how it was argued and how how it went down? What are your thoughts on what happened in New York? The last few As years? has been discussed um, in the last year and in, in two months or a year and a month since this story first broke, the government's theory of the case is pretty unique and, and is, is a, more or less, I think someone had said, uncharted territory for criminal law. Um, you're basically arguing that employees of a school or a university who are a, sort of uh, involved in the conspiracy or the alleged conspiracy um, are somehow also harmed by the conspiracy. And it certainly has been pointed out that that does not compute. Um, I think we'll see what a jury thinks of that theory, although uh, I was not there for closing arguments. My understanding of the closing arguments, and I have not reviewed the transcripts yet, is that this, the U.S. Attorney's Office did a very good job of laying out how the schools were, in fact, harmed. Yeah, so the, the, the sticky part of this is the idea that for college basketball, for the for for these guys and for fans, they look and say, "Hey, Kansas, uh, Bill Self, highest paid guy, is the only guy I know who works at Kansas. Bill Self wants this." And what they're saying is basically, if Bill Self approved of such a thing, he'd almost be a co-conspirator, unindicted co-conspirator on this. He doesn't. He's not the school. Now it kind of begs to question: What's the school? Is it like some chemistry professor? Or is it like the? The student body president? Is it the board of trustees or whatever? Um, is that one of the challenges here uh, in arguing, at least that, that these guys had in arguing this first thing is like, yeah, I guess technically Bill Self doesn't own Kansas, but, you know. I know I agree with that. And, and I mean, I, you were in court for this discussion. The judge uh, certainly alluded to the fact that he believed the board of trustees was representative of the school more so than, say, Rick Pitino or Bill Self. Um, I think we all kind of rolled our eyes at that, but but that was seemed to be what uh, where the U.S. government was going with their theory of the case. Now, what do you make of this, that the, the case was in New York City? The, the jury was uh, extremely diverse uh, and not just racially or eight women and four men or whatever but just i think from just looking at them and i i was there for all their questions just in almost every walk of life there was all sorts of different people there and very few of them though are college basketball fans now some of that's just new york they would ask at the jurors the jury selection 
are you a fan? Like, are you a fan of college basketball? Or they'd say, do you recognize any of these names? And like, they said like Rick Pitino and like, you know, there's like 50 people in the room, like six guys stand up. That's about it. Six people. Like I've heard of Rick Pitino. Most of the people never heard of him. So they kind of weeded most of those guys out too. That this is a group that I think anyone listening to this has a, has a passion for college athletics or else you're not listening to this discussion. Like the big decision on college basketball is being made by people who have no idea what college basketball is. Like they would, they would talk in the, in the, in testimony, like the lawyers would be asking questions and someone would say, oh yeah, like, uh, you know, Louisville made the final four and they go, well, can you explain what the final four is? Like, is that part of March Madness? Like they had to educate so much. How, how is it when you try these cases, you've tried and won many cases in New Orleans and all over the country, when you're dealing with like a jury that knows nothing about the subject? I guess um, and I think educating the jurors is a large part of what the government tried to do from what we saw. Um, but I think part of the issue with that as well is um, it, it's not, you know, the people who know how basketball works kind of shrug their shoulders at all of this. And they're like, it's not really a crime. But if you focus sort of on the you have a very myopic view of the case, you can certainly see how somebody who is always looking for crime could possibly think that this conduct was criminal in some way. Do you think this case would be different if it was being staged or uh, held in an area where there are college basketball fans? Like this is Indianapolis or, or Kansas city or Raleigh or something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Um, and particularly if it was staged in an area, because as you know, um, from watching the trial, there was conduct that took place in, in Louisville, Kentucky. There was conduct that took place in Raleigh, Durham, conduct that took place in Las Vegas. Um, and, and so all of those areas would be good venue for this case, in addition to what took place in New York City. And I almost feel like they would have an easier time, particularly convicting people, let's, let's say, who are not the high level uh, representatives of the university, sort of, you know, sort of the assistant coaches or the low level, um, the low level people at this, you know, where, where this, where these transactions took place, I almost feel like they'd have an easier time where the fans are all about protecting the brand, protecting the, uh, the Wolfpack logo or the Cardinal logo. And they don't really even care who the players are. All they care about is, you know, whether they're going to win 23 games and get to the final four. So do you think it's a higher burden for the, the government, even though they brought the case in New York, that the fact that it's in New York? I, yes, I, I do believe that it's, they have a more difficult challenge um, in New York because people do not necessarily have – people are going to look at this with a much broader perspective as opposed to what do I need to do to keep making sure that – NC State or Louisville or Kansas keeps getting to the final four. And as, as we can see, as this case played out, um, you know, the, 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 the institutions and the NCAA seem to just shrug their shoulders over this conduct and just kind of say, hey, don't, you know, look, over, you know, that's their own thing over there. But, you know, our thing here is midnight madness and selling season tickets and, and all of that. I thought it was uh, it was funny at one point. During uh, TJ Gasnola, the the Adidas quote unquote Adidas bag man from uh, Western Massachusetts, 
he was bragging, kind of talking very bravado. They were asking him different coaches he knew, and they mentioned, do you know John Calipari? And he goes, I've known Coach Cal since I was 15 years old or something like that. He's very excited about that. And I look over at the jurors, and Calipari's name had not been mentioned at the trial, or if it had, it been in passing. And they all just looking at him like, who the hell is John Calipari and why am I impressed by this? And I almost feel like if they knew, like there'd be just this, just the history built in, like, oh, well, that's that's this or that's that. Like, what does that mean? Like you'd come in with your buys. So maybe this is the the proper way to really to really look at this thing. What what are your thoughts on the NCA's response? You hinted at it there. Um surprising or not, they've they've we're not really present in the courtroom. They say they may or may not be. I think they've got like an outside counsel perhaps there taking notes, but and I don't know how much it's not the same person every day. Cause I was there every day and I knew everybody was there every day and there wasn't anybody working for the NCA who was there every single day. Um, I, I don't think much of the NCA response here. Um, you know, again, as I think you alluded to on one of your emergency podcasts about 10 years ago, if there was any kind of smoke associated with this, um, something like this, guys would be ruled ineligible, coaches would be fired. And everybody, you know, the, the, the NCA response seems to be more like, hey, if this thing gets out of control, we may not actually have a sport here at the end of the day. You you have any hunch? I know you don't have any insight on this, or maybe you do, but do you have any hunch on whether everyone does want to know? And we we're joking earlier about what you know or whatever, obviously. Um, but do you, do you think you're a college basketball fan too? You went to Seton Hall, your fan, uh, and I, I think you're a fan of Tulane, where you went to law school too, uh, and just a general fan of college uh, sports, like many of us. Do you? Do you have any prediction on whether the NCAA will really crack down on this or could you see them just saying, throwing up their hands and saying, ah, we just cannot, we can't handle this many cases or we don't know what to do? It's a tough, I think they're in a very tough spot here. Um, it does seem, though, that that they are, they've been allowed to punt because the FBI says, we don't want you to do anything until we're done with our cases. That being said, there have been some ancillary things activities that have gone on or that have come to light and the NCA does not seem to really be doing too much with respect to things that are outside the scope of the FBI investigation it seems and, and obviously a lot of that is um, it, it is quite substantial and, and literally there might not be a college basketball season I mean you heard the Zion Williamson uh, uh, phone call or text message that was read um, obviously people can put two and two together, but Zion Williamson not playing college basketball would be an absolute disaster for the college basketball season. Um, you know, I, I think about it in terms of, uh, you know, teenage kids and I, and I've coached some youth basketball and the kids who, who, you know, who are in their teens, who, who you want to get into college basketball, they know Zion Williamson and they know LeBron James. But could they tell you anybody who was at the final four in 2018? Could they name one player? Probably not. Um, so the fact that Zion Williamson would be on Duke, it's a reason to watch all of that. And, and, and if the NCAA has to go and do an investigation, um, it's I mean, they'd be cutting their hand off at this point or cutting the mouth that hand off that feeds them at this point, because Zion Williamson is going to be very big for college basketball this year. He will, but their system of amateurism allows them to not pay taxes. 
and uh, that's very valuable also because I've always argued, like, why are you guys so mad at the good players? Like, like you know, I remember when LeBron was coming up through high school, there's a guy at the NCA who was kind of investigating him, and LeBron could go straight to the pros, but I remember someone bought LeBron a, a Hummer, the car, the Hummer, and he had... I mean, age. I had an agent tell me before his senior year, I'd pay Gloria James one million dollars right now to sign. You know, I'd give her. I'd literally get one million dollars in cash and bring it to her apartment. And of course, you would, because he, LeBron's going to make like a billion dollars in his career and to be associated with that. So it all made sense. And that was the first time I truly saw, like, wow, this is ridiculous. Um, this kid can't. This kid's so valuable, and there's just like this stopgap. But I remember this guy at the NCA, and I'll, I'll spare him. And he just goes, "I've got a file on LeBron James up to my knee or something like that." And I'm like, "Why would you not want LeBron James to play college basketball? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, everybody wants this kid." And he's like, "We've got rule." And I was like, "Geez, you know, good luck with that." Like that, but that's their system. So now, as a basketball fan, okay, and obviously you cannot reveal evidence or anything you know that hasn't come out. So, um. We'll spare that part. But was there anything about working on this case that surprised you about college basketball, whether it's like the brazenness of the way they talk or wait, Brian Bowen Jr. got 25 grand to play a summer of AAU ball. Like I knew they, I knew there was something, but like really, or Creighton's paying. Like, is there anything either that you knew or just the way the rules work that go, Man, I have a different opinion now, even though I've been a fan for, you know, since I was a little kid. Yeah, I, you know, as a fan of as a fan since I've been in, you know, grade school, um, you know, I, you would read recruiting magazines, things like that. And you would see this kid is interested in going to these four or five schools. Uh, but the kid has very little agency in where he actually is going to school. It's, it's other, you know, this is has very little, to, you know, this is sort of outside um, just kind of learning about how things work as a result of representing my client. Um, he has very little say in where he's going. It's all right, we're going to get him to Miami or we're going to get him to NC State. And it's good for our brand, uh, whether it be the agent who, who's taking care of him or a sneaker company or, or something like that. And, and the kid is just sort of told where he goes. I mean, they'd almost be better off having a draft. I mean, that's that's how little age – these kids don't get to pick where they go to school. And to me, that was probably the most mind-blowing thing of the whole – of just getting in getting into the nitty-gritty of this it, is the idea that um, every recruiting magazine and, and, you know, all that stuff I've been reading, like uh, – uh, you guys were joking about those guys on on the last podcast. The uh, right. Bob the Gibbons, Dave, Van Coleman, Bob, yeah, yeah Dave, David Francis, Pump, yeah. all those guys, yeah. 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 And, and like none of that matters. I mean, that's all complete nonsense. And, and you know, it, um, unless they know where Under Armour is going to direct the kid or where a prominent agent is going to direct the kid, they don't have any more information than you or I have. Well, they do, though. They do because. I, I used to do – I used to be far more involved with AAU basketball and stuff. But, like, you'd talk to their AAU coach or the dad or something, and they'd be like – like, th they control the process because it's like, hey, we're going to go on an official visit to this school or an unofficial visit. I'll drive you over here. And and even in the innocent days – I mean, you go back to as long as you want. Like, 
you know, you hear stories of like, well, high school coach drives them to old state U and the assistant coach gives them gas money. And it's like, you know, did it cost $300 to drive over here? There's, you know, like a little more than gas, and, you know, whatever. And, but the, the process controls the kid the way, like if you're, if you're, you have a son or daughter and they want to go to whatever, like what summer camp do I want to go to? What, um, you know, what, what high school do they want to go to? Like, if you're having choices on that or college, like you kind of determine the process. Cause you're like, well, we're not flying to UCLA to take a tour. Like you're going here or we're going to these, you know, you kind of control it. So, and especially these kids. So a lot of times those AAU guys or whatever be like, well, this is who we're feeling. And it made sense. So they're kind of reading the tea leaves as much as they're talking to the player. But this whole bit where like the kid wakes up and is like, I had a dream and I just saw blue. Yeah. And I decided I'm going to Kentucky. Like, no, that isn't how it went down. Okay. That story never works. So you're right. There's an immense number of people that are controlling this process and it has very little. Now, when you pay a kid, you still got to recruit them though. Yes. Like it's, you know, it's not just like the highest bidder. You still ha- do have to get the kid to like the school, right? Absolutely. It was, uh, I, again, I think you made this point on the last podcast that, you know, there were other factors besides money going into the recruitment of Brian Bowen and certain schools have offered a certain mix. So if you like, you know, if you just wanted money, you would have picked one option. But if you wanted playing time, which is, you know, obviously something that the Bowens were interested in, they so they picked Louisville. Uh, so it wasn't just a money factor. And I thought uh, the defense did a really nice job in their closing argument of making that point as well to the jury that, hey, there's a mix of factors. It just isn't the fact that there was money on the table here as to why he went to Louisville. I thought Christian Dawkins defense, Steve Haney, did a terrific job on that particularly. And he's pointing out that Christian Dawkins, it's like Christian Dawkins didn't really care whether you went to an Adidas school or not. He didn't work for Adidas. He wanted to still have a relation. He didn't want to have him go to a school where he would be closed out from having a relationship with Brian Bowen. So he didn't care if he went. He was pushing him to go to Arizona or Michigan State, which was paying nothing because, hey, I live near Michigan State. I can still go see him and I can still get him on the out. Or Arizona wasn't going to get in the way, even though it was a Nike school. And I, I really think that bodes well for Christian Dawkins's defense. We'll see. We're not going to make predictions on a on a criminal case here. Maybe privately, you and I have in a few cases in the past, but not on this one. Um, all right, tell me this: How does the there's three cases here? I don't think people quite get that. Uh, there's going to be one for for Rifleman Chuck Person in February. He gets his own one, right? He does. Just him, yeah, him, yeah. him uh, and um, Rashawn Michelle, the uh, the suit, uh, the, the suit, the, uh, the suit guy. Yes, the suit guy from Atlanta. Yeah, I like that. The suit guy gets uh, so they'll be in February. Yes, and then you, it'll be a five defendant trial in April. Yes, right. Christian Dawkins, Merle Code, Book Richardson from Arizona. Uh, Lamont Evans from Oklahoma State and Tony Bland from Southern California. Correct. Correct? Yes. Okay. Five-minute trial. Now, that has the potential to be a very big trial. There's five guys. There's a lot going on there. How does the first case differ from your case in general? The first case is a conspiracy wire fraud case. Um, Our case, the coaches and Dawkins and Code – 
are charged with a, a different federal statute. It's um, 18 USC 666, which is a federal funds bribery statute. Um, and that says if you are a representative of an organization that receives $20,000 in federal funds, which would be a university, um, it's illegal for you to corruptly solicit for payment for something in connection with that, um, with your job. Um, and that is the overriding charge. And then there are a couple other, there's a wire fraud charge, a travel act charge, honest services charge, and they're all, um, there, the that the the um, bribery charge is the predicate for those charges. So that would be the one where there's probably going to be the most fireworks about um, what constitutes a bribe, what constitutes getting paid for a referral, that type of thing. So anybody who breathed easy, and there were some schools that breathed easy after the first trial, the evidence is done. Some had a tough go of it. <laughs> to say the least, but others kind of, uh, how easy should they breathe? Or is it like, Hey, hold on. We're, we're just done with the first period. It's a hockey game and we're, we're one period in, uh, don't get too overconfident around here. I think the hockey game, uh, first period of the hockey game analogy is apt. I, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get into this, but I, I believe, I, I believe, um, that there will be a, a much more vigorous, um, defense and much more, um, there'll be a much more vigorous defense in the, in the, in the third trial. We will, the arguing over intent will pro although there will be intent arguments made, I, I do not believe that will be the thrust of, uh, the defense in the third case. Yeah. Yeah. Buckle up. So again, anybody who's like, Hey, our school didn't, we're cool. Um, we'll see. We will see. Uh, tell me this, uh, because it's, uh, you know, looking at these guys, I, I, I've I've met the families of all three guys in the last few weeks. Um, uh, you know, Jim Gatto's kids are there. Uh, you know, aunts, mothers, uh, fathers, uh, Merle Code's families there. Dawkins's kids, uh, mom and and dad and aunt's been there the whole, or his aunt's been there the whole time. Like, it's weird because I, I know it's. You know, it's alleged criminal activity and this sometimes happens in white collar crime. But like looking at these guys, I don't think any of them ever thought they're breaking the law. Now, that doesn't that doesn't mean you can't be convicted or you didn't break the law. But like it's just looking at like them, they're just almost like embarrassed. It's just like I can't believe I'm on federal trial for this. I didn't steal any money. I didn't, you know attempt to hurt anybody we didn't kill anybody we didn't you know all the things that go on how is book handling it uh you know because he's a guy who who wants to be a basketball coach and is involved in this utterly insane business and i'm not exonerating him, i'm not i'm not making a judgment on that yet but like how is he handling this situation and and where he's at is just personal just like he has this million hour a week career and it just stops in a halt and he's got to sit around and wait it, it's very very difficult i mean this is a man who has played basketball or been involved in basketball and athletics since he's been five or six years old um he's made it his career um and he is very very he was very very good at it he did a very very good job for the university of arizona um, and now all of a sudden after September 26th of 2017, that has stopped and he has, 
Um, obviously, a lot of people in basketball have reached out to him. A lot of people have been very supportive of him. But as far as being in that exclusive circle of, of people who at a high level who make a living in basketball and, and who, you know, have you know, the adulation of the fans and have people interested in what they're doing and to go to that to sitting around on your computer and just scrolling through social media all day. Um, it, obviously, that's a tough transition for anyone. And, and it's it's been very, you know, he has good days. He has bad days. Um, obviously, he's done a lot of soul searching over the last uh, 13 months. Um, but, it, you know, it is not an easy situation for any of the defendants in this case, um, particularly in light of the fact that, as you know, and as people who are fans of the sport know, there's been stuff going on in college basketball un under the table since Adolph Rupp. And uh, and so for I mean, it does. Obviously, I'm not making a selective prosecution argument here because that obviously that's a standard that's very difficult to meet. But there does seem to be a feeling of selective prosecution amongst the defendants in this case. Yeah, I just really feel like everybody involved in like every one of these guys would say, oh, we might get dinged by the NCAA. Right. You got to be careful. Or maybe you walk across this line like the NCAA. They they talk about it in text messages. Oh, you got to be careful. We got to use a bat phone. The NCAA might be listening. So anything. Everything was NCAA. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, the wait, the FBI. Like, like, was that a shit? Like, did, 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 did book ever express that? Like, like they came to his house and like banged on the door, right? Was At it just six stunned? in the morning. They, it, yes. It was a very aggressive. Um, it was a very aggressive uh, takedown by the FBI. I, I mean, honestly, they could have just knocked on the door and said, hey, you need to come with me. And book is a very straightforward guy. He would have asked a few questions and he probably would have gotten in the car and went with them. Um, and, and again, this that shows kind of how this investigation sort of um, was out of left field to a certain extent, because, you know, I, I've been involved in some some federal drug cases and federal conspiracy cases. And in general, once they've completed the investigation, the feds then send a target letter to whoever they are, whoever they are looking at or the target of the investigation and say, hey, would you come in and bring a lawyer and meet with us? And we'll go over what we have against you and you can decide whether you want to plea or whether you want to proceed to indictment. That was never offered here. And that was never uh, that wasn't the process in this case. It was it was more along the lines of a a honestly, I've seen less aggressive, uh, less aggressive police tactics in serious drug cases than I did with the arrest of these five defendants. So they send a letter to like a drug kingpin. Um, or, or the, king, like the, the kingpin's lawyer or, or even a white collar crime and insider trading type crime. But yes, they, that, that is generally the way it works. Now they do do aggressive takedowns, um, for gang activity, things like that. And that was more along the lines of what they did here, as opposed to, uh, somebody who's in charge with insider trading or stock, you know, something along those lines. All right. So they, they, they send the letter to Levy from the wire. Yes, get, like Stringer Bell on there, but not like Bodie's just getting taken down on the corner. That that's honestly yeah. that is exactly that is generally the way this works. Is okay. Levy would get a letter say Stringer can come in with <laughs> Levy and and uh, you know they would go in and, and meet with everybody and and then Bodie and um, um, yeah. Wallace they they just get rounded. <laughs> yeah. So so the assistant coaches were just no better than that. Yeah, it was uh, that's a tough one, man. All right. Um, 
so uh, do you expect the timetable of the uh, of the trials will, will stick? You guys will go in April. Do you have any idea if the NCA has to hold and wait until after appeals? Or do you have any sense on that? Do you know anything about that? I have nothing to offer. I, I would figure that that probably would not be the case. Um, but I, I don't know what the – I have no idea what the, the government and the NCA, how they're working together on this. Okay. All right. Well, that is good stuff on that. Anything else you wanted to add on this trial? Um, before I ask you about the Bud Light Bandit, because I got to ask the, the, the Bud Light Bandit is, yeah, I've been thinking about how to defend this guy all weekend. So, so <laughs> now, I, let that, me just say this. You have gotten, uh, you have an amazing uh, record uh, and you have tried some amazing cases. So as good as you are for Book Richardson, I'm guessing, we'll see. But I think you would be the guy for the Bud Light Bandit. Um, so, I, you know, put this is, I got to hear this. This is going to be good. How does the Bud Light Bandit get off? Uh, he, well, he clearly well, first, stole the five cases of beer. I, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a theft. If it had been Bush Light, I would hire you as an expert <laughs> and have you come in and testify how no reasonable prosecutor could bring a case for stealing five <laughs> cases of Bush Light out of a convenience store. Um, it's got to eat. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I will say this. I, I the, you know, I had a, a case a while back in which uh, my client was accused of stealing a bike out of a very well-to-do person's carport. And um, it was on video and I managed to convince one juror that uh, what they saw was not exactly, uh, not exactly what uh, was not exactly a crime. And uh, so it, I, it does not look good for the Bud Light Bandit. Although if you're a friend of the Bud Light Bandit, it does look good. Drink up. Drink, drink up. up. And, and I would assume. Well, well, hold on. As a counselor, could you, if I drink the Bud Light, am I like stolen property? Am I accessory? Have I been rece received stolen property? I think it would be received. If, if obviously now that the story has been publicized, <laughs> if you are, if you are participating with the Bud Light <laughs> Bandit and you've drank in a beer and you know, this is the Bud Light Bandit, you are in fact guilty of receipt of stolen property. <laughs> That I okay, can't so help. Advice? That I can't help you. But the Bud Light Bandit, he would. I'd be willing to do that pro bono. He would get a very vigorous and zealous defense. Okay, so what's the defense? You try to convince someone he didn't really steal it. I would convince him that I would try to convince somebody that he left his wallet in the car, was going to come back, or left his wallet at the party, and he's just uh, in the process of trying to come back and, and make amends for, and make restitution for what was taken. <laughs> I love defense attorneys. I love defense attorneys. They got the best stories. Craig Mordock, Mordock, uh, law down in uh, in um, nope. that's not it. We got a partner. Mordock Barber. Mort, Mordock Barber. Sorry, Barber. Dang. Sorry about that. Short change of there. Mordock Barber Law Firm in New Orleans. If you're ever in trouble, whether the FBI has kicked down your door because you may or may not have paid off a high school recruit, or you stole five cases of Bud Light, anything in between, Craig Mordock's your guy. Uh, appreciate you joining the Yahoo Sports College podcast. Again, it's my favorite podcast. It is the only podcast I have ever listened to more than one time. And I, I probably listened six or seven. I'm obviously going to listen tomorrow. So you're up to eight. So you guys are well ahead. We're on our way. You're well ahead. You're outpacing uh, the uh, – 
I don't even know what the other podcast I've listened to, but there are none. There are no other that, podcasts true, for people to listen true. to. The number of attorneys that were listening to this podcast that were involved in this case, I was like, <laughs> I was like, really? You really listen to that thing? Like, you do aware, you are aware, we have no freaking idea what we're talking about, right? At least, like, you are aware of that. Like, there's no insight to be garnered here. We're just making it all up off the top of our head. But that's why we bring in experts like you. So, anyway, more of this. Please subscribe. Leave us a good review. And uh, if you do, I know none of my listeners would ever find themselves on the wrong side of the law. But sometimes innocent people are accused. So, call Craig. He'll, uh, he'll take care of you. Thank you, Craig. All right, good stuff with Craig Mordock. I now want to shift the conversation to Pete Thamel talking with Notre Dame coach Mike Bray, who I think has some uh, very interesting and powerful comments, uh, considered one of the the really true clean and uh, clean by the rule guys in college basketball. So very, very interesting comments from Mike Bray. Uh, Here is Pete and Mike. Welcome special guest today, Notre Dame basketball coach Mike Bray. In about to start his 19th season in South Bend. Uh, Mike, walk me through a little bit of how you viewed the last 13 months in the sport. We're, we're obviously coming to a, a culmination this week with uh, with a decision in the Southern District of New York. First of three trials. It's something you and everyone in the sport, I think, has maybe covered and followed more closely and tracked more closely than, than the public, quite frankly. I'm just curious how you've seen from, from a macro sense the sport go through what it has. I think, uh, Pete, quite frankly, embarrassed for our profession. You know, I think all coaches, we've, uh, um, we should be embarrassed that it's gotten to this point. And um, we're hoping that, you know, we can change some things and fix some things. I don't know if we'll have the answers or see any fruition of these rule changes, especially with the recruiting calendar, maybe for five years. But we got to start somewhere with these things, and, and I hope we can give them a try. But I think for all of us, um, it was kind of a slap in the face, and obviously there's some more trials, and there's still going to be things revealed. How did you follow it? It's interesting. I was just at, at another practice last week, and the head coach told me I would – you know, check my phone at twelve fifteen every day just to like to, to like see what was coming because it, I just think people on the outside maybe don't understand the stakes that one day of testimony, one wiretap could change like the whole paradigm of a sport. There's no question. I, I was it, it was riveting, quite frankly. I certainly followed you and followed tweets coming out of there. I think I checked in twice a day just to see what was the latest, what was being said. You know, many of the characters, you know, our fraternity is small and and the names are familiar. So you were you were kind of waiting to see who was going to be discussed. And I think all of you were like, I wonder if our name will come up. You know, <laughs> I think any anybody is sitting there going, did, are, are we okay? Did, did we cross the line with anything? But um, it was certainly dramatic and riveting to follow. And I think every college coach really followed it closely. Do you think discernibly 13 months later, the sport has changed? Have you seen changed behavior? You know, I, I think there is some fear. I think that maybe a positive step is the three shoe companies have been, you know, kind of hung out there. And so they've all stood down a little bit. I think their grassroots budgets have really changed dramatically for all of them. That that could be a good start for us, that they were exposed and they're backing up a little bit. In that vacuum, can we do some things with our regional camps and going back to the high schools? 
we're darn sure going to try. I don't know if that's the answer, but we've got to start somewhere. I do think, though, the shoe company aggressiveness because of this right now is really backed off. And that, that I think, can help us in the short term. So you're headed tomorrow to ACC Media Day. Your old boss, Mike Krzyzewski, made some comments that drew some pretty heavy scrutiny uh, from us, from elsewhere. I, I fully believe it'll be a big storyline tomorrow. I'm curious, you, you've been one of the few truth tellers in this, Mike, who's really from the, from the moment this, uh, you know, the arrests happened last September 26th told it. I'm curious what you thought of his comments specifically, and then generally how you think the industry has reacted to everything. Well, I, I, I don't agree with Mike Kay's comments. You know, I think this has been something that has been in our game. Again, I think we do have a high number of coaches doing it the right way, but there are a percentage of guys that have pushed the envelope um, with the help of the shoe companies that have really made us look bad and have embarrassed us. And we've had to defend ourselves now uh, for 13 months. I mean, I, I, I like some of the stuff coming out of the rice we have rice commission we had to try something um we're not going to know if we have some things fixed for a couple years and i think some of that legislation will have to be tweaked but we got to start somewhere and my feeling was burn the whole thing down like it has been up there in the courthouse and and for, and let's see if we can start this thing over your boss jack swarbrick told uh told me last week he was surprised on the campus level there hasn't been more action considering what what has come out he 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 thought presidentially and administratively on on, and he didn't say specific places but on the micro level there's been some inertia there it's almost a little bit like everybody's waiting for someone else to to do something i'm curious what you thought of that notion yeah jack and i agree with my boss on that we've had that discussion you know because i I kind of said, well, if you were the AD at School X that's going through this, and he said, well, you know, I would really aggressively take some steps, you know, with my coach and, and with my assistant coaches. And so that, that probably, I think, has been surprising to many in the profession that there's this wait and see. And, and, uh, I, and I think we're all kind of wondering, how does it end for some of these schools that were strongly implicated in the courtroom last week? So you are the incoming NABC president. Uh, that is, it is a, certainly a challenging time to have that title. And, you know, being NABC president doesn't exactly give you inherent powers to change the world, but it puts you in a position to have a, to have a voice on matters as such as this. I'm curious how you view that coming up and what you hope to do to maybe even change the reputation of the profession a little bit. Well, right Pete, you're right. I mean, I've thought about that a lot. You know, my term starts at the Final Four in Minneapolis and and, and we have so much going on. You know, I, I would hope we could create a little bit amongst our membership. You know, we have had a hard time ever agreeing on anything, um, Division One head coaches. And I know we have all kinds of levels representative, but there's always uh, complaining from one side. We can never come to a consensus. And where I'm not pie in the sky, where we can do that, can we get the attitude that with the Rice Commission and some of the changes, can we try this? Can we work together and tweak and try and change some things instead of complaining about the new G League rule or complaining about the regional camps? Can we get some positive stuff around this? Can we give it a try, come back and talk about what we like, what we don't like, and tweak it for the next year? Because we get this 
we get this negative complaining and arguing all the time that really everybody's tired of and and we lose a lot of respect that way so i'm gonna give it a shot i don't know if i'm gonna give it a shot to see if we can get a little more consensus and a little more of an open mind about here's where we're going let's try our best to get behind it let's talk you know behind the scenes about what we need to change and see if we can improve the thing over over five years couple quick questions about the current uh, Irish. Well, this is year 19 for you, Mike. That's a, that's, a bi- that's a big number. I knew that, but I didn't know that. I, I think back, your first point guard here is now a Division One head coach, Martin Inglesby. You finally have a practice facility. You've survived five football coaches. Brian Kelly's your fifth football coach. And I guess the, the, that number was probably more impressive when he started seven, eight years ago now, I guess. I'm just curious how you've seen this place change, why you've been so comfortable here and settled in so well and, and not gone elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's been it, it, it takes a while to get your name on a program and get it to be yours. And I felt we kind of achieved that, oh, maybe after year six, seven, eight, you know, when we were back in the old Big East. And I miss the old Big East. I mean, there's some great memories from the old Big East and the garden. The ACC has kind of given us new life. It was almost like taking a new coaching job, you know, because it was new preparation. It kind of re-energized me five years ago. I love the kind of young people that come to this place, the kind of kids that we get. They want to compete in the classroom. They want to compete in the basketball court. Um, it's uh, We have more four-year guys, not that we wouldn't have an open mind to more of a one-and-done guy or a two-and-done guy, but for the most part, our guys are here. We have juniors and seniors that help me run the program. Um, I, I'm in line with the mission of the place. You know, I work for two great guys and Jack Swarbrick and Father John, where there's no question we have to win, but there's a bigger mission. And so you get to a point after 19 years and you look and go, God, it'd be great if I could end it here. I mean, when I got the job 19 years ago, never did I think I'd last 19. I was just trying not to get fired, you know, in the first couple years. But to look and say you have a chance to end your career at Notre Dame would be really special to me. And I've never, never really been hungry about coaching at another place. I like where our program is. We have good young players. Um, we, we have a style of play. We have an identity. Uh, and so it's kind of been exciting to kind of see where we can go the next couple of years with some of the youth in our program. Sure. So I just watched you guys practice. Uh, I believe five freshmen, very talented, maybe like the best class of freshmen you brought in. You have a transfer coming off the bounce at, at UConn. A lot, a lot of new faces. Uh, give, give us a little state of the program of where it is right now. It'll be an interesting mix and match of young talent with some established guys you have. It is. I think you start with Rex Fluger and TJ Gibbs, two veteran guards who've played a lot together and have won together, and they've kind of run this thing. And then you have a Johnny Mooney and an Elijah Burns who are older guys frontline players who we need to do more but we've had a track record of guys been with us a couple years and now we ask you to do more like a Jack Cooley like a Zach August even like a Bonzi Colson and then you deliver for us but then you dip down to Pete those five freshmen and the transfer Juwan Durham and I'm really excited about them they know how to play 
They've been well coached in high school. They're great fits for us. The foreign tour really helped us. Those six new faces because they had a summer session of foreign tour and 10 practices and now about two weeks here, they're pretty well established on how we want to do things. But I think for me, you know, the old phrase of get old, stay old that I've used so much, I violated my, 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 my karma a little bit. We're younger and I've got to remember to be patient and play them and let them grow. You finally have a practice facility that it had been sort of a hobby horse of yours. Every once in a while, you'd, you'd pipe up and gripe about it a little bit. You guys have been on the floor there uh, a handful of times. You're going to move in full time sooner than later. Uh, what will that kind of final piece to this program mean? I, I think it shows great commitment on our part uh, about our men's basketball. Um, I think it's made me maybe even a more confident recruiter because you do have that to show and you feel there's even more of a commitment. It's state-of-the-art, as you said, Pete, we're on the courts now, we'll be in the offices, and it's the final piece to this thing. You know, the one thing I told our administration, when, when we were in the Big East, not everybody had everything back then, and we could get away with the pit as our practice facility, and God bless the pit. We've had a lot of good afternoons and evenings and mornings down there, as we had an early one this morning. But in the ACC, everybody's got the ammunition, and we need to have that. The other thing is, it's a great laboratory for our four- and five-year guys. We have guys that get better, that are gym rats. It gives us even a better laboratory for a Bonzi Colson, a Rex Fluger, a Matt Farrell, who is going to spend all four years with us to get better. Very good. Well, Mike, this is all I need. I appreciate you taking a few minutes after practice today, and uh, good luck both with the season and your upcoming presidency. Thank you, Pete. Always good to be with you.